So, my dog died a month ago on November 3rd, election day. And I have been attempting to record this episode for the last few weeks, but it's been it's been hard to get myself to sit down and do it to sit alone in a room and talk about losing um, my dog best friend of the last 15 and uh, and a half years you know and it's not like it's not like someone else is uh, it's not like I have to race because someone else is gonna scoop the story <laughs> or it's not like I have an editor breathing down my neck I mean I could just choose to not record a podcast episode about losing my dog, but this is a podcast about living with dogs, loving dogs, teaching dogs, learning from dogs, and unfortunately, death is part of pet ownership, so I sort of feel like I would be chickening out if I neglected to talk about this part of my experience of this relationship. Also, this is the School for the Dogs podcast, of course, and Amos was a big part of how School for the Dogs came to be in existence. You know, some people I know have become dog trainers because they were really interested, often from an early age, in animal behavior in general. And dogs are um, a relatively easy, uh, it's like a relatively easy animal to focus on if you're interested in animal behavior since it doesn't involve, I mean, since you can study them, work with them without having to go scuba diving or camping out in a tree. I know quite a few dog trainers who consider themselves, I think, animal trainers first, a dog tra- tra- dog trainer second. And, and uh, I also know a lot of people who got into dog training because they had uh, a really difficult dog. But, you know, I don't, I don't think I fit into either of those two categories. For me, I think my dog training life started with a, a love of dogs in general, and then a great love for one dog in particular. I I didn't become a dog trainer to change Amos in any way. I became a dog trainer because I wanted to figure out how to be a better person (laughs) to my dog, how I could spend more time with him. I think I mentioned this in in an early episode of of, uh, the podcast, but you know, I went through this real soul-searching period during the the last major economic downturn in like 2009, 2008, 2009, 2010, where I was really thinking hard about how I could make a living uh, doing something different than I had been doing, and I spent a lot of time with Amos in the dog park 
writing lists of things I liked and things I could imagine spending my time doing. And, and at some point, I kind of realized, you know, I just want to be doing what I'm doing right now. I want to be hanging out at the dog park with my dog, having my dog sit next to me on the bench, watch him play with other dogs, talk to other people about their dogs, learn about dogs. Like, this is this is my bliss, and how can I create a life for myself where this is what I get to do? And God damn it, I did it. <laughs> I mean, that was 10 years ago, and it's certainly been a journey. And God knows these days I spend much more time looking at spreadsheets and paying bills than I do actually hanging out with dogs and the people who love them. But overall, I would say I have spent a huge amount of time over this last decade learning about dogs and teaching dogs and talking to people about their dogs and helping people with their dogs and watching dogs and watching people with dogs. And I am so, 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 so fortunate and, and, and so glad that I have spent so much of my life in that way. Like, I can't imagine any other way I would rather be spending so much time. And I feel so lucky that Amos um, got to be, be with me for so many of those years. You know, for the, for the six years um, uh, before I, I met my husband, I was pretty much single. Uh, Kate and I were, um, you know, just working around the clock, building this business. And when I wasn't doing that, I was hanging out on the couch with my dog or going out to dinner with friends with my dog and training him to do things that were just fun for both of us. He loved training. He loved uh, shaping games. I used to do these orientations once a month or so at School for the Dogs with um, seven or eight uh, clients who would come for um, like an introductory session, and I would have Amos there as the demo dog, and he would get so excited when I started putting the chairs in a circle to get ready for these sessions, and each session I would pick some new thing we were going to shape him to do like I don't know put two feet in a box or knock a cone over with his nose and if there were eight people I would say okay we're going to see if we can get there in like 16 clicks you know each of you is going to have a chance to to click two things that um, are going to be uh, approximations of the final behavior And and I'd always try and pick something new but let's say it was like knock over this cup with your nose we would start by having the first person uh click and treat a couple of times for him um simply approaching the cup and the next person might uh click and treat him a couple of times for touching the cup with his nose and then the third for putting some pressure on it and you know the thing is he um as you know as every day went by he got to be a better and better learner so he would actually usually uh be able to do one of my little shaping challenges in just a dozen clicks or so sometimes not but but you know there was something to be learned when he didn't succeed too right that there's always information there about what you as a trainer could have done differently and could have could do differently next time anyway 
he was he was often at the studio with me especially you know when the, when the studio started out and it was in my apartment I would put him up we had like a little mini fridge uh, or mini freezer in the, the training space and I would put him up on that during puppy play times like him on his like lifeguards lifeguard chair <laughs> overseeing everything when we were um, in our first studio, I would sometimes on East Second Street, our second studio, I would sometimes bring him there and like stack him on the top of a bunch of uh, climb platforms. So he, he was up in his throne there um, uh, where he could hang out while I was teaching. Um, and actually, I had this great backpack for him um, that we used to sell uh, in our shop, but uh, it's from this French company uh, called Bobby, and they stopped making it. But um, this awesome backpack that I used to bring him everywhere in with his like little head coming out the side of, uh, of this bag. And um, I would even have him there sometimes if I was teaching um, in like a puppy playtime. Um, I would just keep him on my back. As he got older, he really, he really didn't like puppies, which is um, not abnormal. Uh, I think a lot of just like a a lot of older people don't have patience for uh, tiny kids. I think some dogs just don't have patience for puppies who can move in unpredictable ways and haven't learned how to be polite uh, dog citizens yet. Anyway, my point is that I feel really lucky that I got to have um, this amazing buddy for so many years. And, and I think I will always think about school for the dogs as something that came out of um, out of uh, in part my relationship with him and the special years we got to spend getting to understand each other and and just exist <laughs> exist in the world together. And, um, and I think he really helped me see that, um, that, that it can add so much to, to your life to own a dog, to, um, be, you know, the, (laughs) the person in a dog's life who's helping that dog, um, live the best life for that dog. That, that giving your dog uh, the best possible life is actually kind of like it feels so good that it's a kind of like self-care. It can be like, like a hobby that actually benefits another living thing but is actually about your own enjoyment. Like there are plenty of people whose hobby is taking care of their cars or taking care of their furniture or caring about a sports team. But, you know, you're not taking care of the car for the car's sake. You don't care about a baseball team for the the team's sake. When you're taking care of a pet, it can seem like you're doing it for the pet. But I actually think it's uh, a sort of wonderfully selfish hobby in that it's a hobby that you know I have engaged in because I love it it makes me feel so good to love 
and care for a dog. And it's almost like the fact that it actually uh, resulted in my dog living a happy life is almost like a, like an accidental byproduct. But part of what made me happy was watching him live a life that I think was full of good stuff. And I guess there's a way in which I think of School for the Dogs as in part my effort to help other people see that there are so many ways that you can um, enrich the moments that you spend with your dog, that you can make your world more comfortable with your dog, that for your dog, that you can um, travel with your dog, that you can that you can like figure out ways to inject the enjoyment of this hobby into as many moments of your life as possible and give your dog ideally the best possible life at the same time and that that is only going to like further your passion for this hobby. I I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm making sense, guys. I hope I am. Anyway, in thinking about recording this episode, I've thought, you know, how do I, how do I distill a 15-year uh, long relationship where I spent almost every single day with this creature into, um, into something that someone can listen to in, in under an hour? You know, do I organize it chronologically? <laughs> do I talk about achievements, accomplishments, and degrees? Do I talk about places we went together, places we lived together? Do I recall our, my best memories with him? Do I talk about our first moments together or our last moments together? And <laughs> I think actually the thing that feels like it makes most sense to talk about is my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> I bet you did not think that's what I was going to say. But I've been thinking about how Amos first came into my life and I realized that there there were actually two ex-boyfriends who led us to end up together uh, each in a different way. So the first ex-boyfriend was um, this doctor who I dated Uh, when I was in my early 20s, and I was completely head over heels in love with him. But it always felt like it was not going to last for a variety of reasons all on his side. It it always kind of felt like had like the fleeting nature of like an affair or something, even though it wasn't. And eventually he, he moved for work and was just kind of like, you know, you were part of my life in New York, and... Uh, I'm not going to be in New York anymore. I'm starting a new life. He wasn't open at all to like trying to be long distance or whatever. And, you know, I was crushed. You know, it's funny how like a breakup can feel like a death because, you know, the person might still exist, but that relationship that you have and your access to them um, is gone in the same way it is uh, when someone dies. Or sort of like it is when someone dies. Anyway, I was totally heartbroken and a year later he came back into town uh, and asked me to go out for a drink with him and 
of course, I figured he was going to want to get back together. And he was not at all interested in getting back together. And the day after that, I just, I couldn't move. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't get out of bed. I remember, actually, at some point that day, I did manage to get outside for a minute, and it was really hot outside, like that kind of like heat where you feel like someone's just like sitting on you. And uh, between between the heat and uh, and everything else, like I just felt paralyzed. I mean, I, I must have just been like the cliche <laughs> 25-year-old writer living in a ground floor studio apartment in Brooklyn, unable to pull herself together because her boyfriend didn't want to get back together with her and in in this hole that I was in it occurred to me that one thing that would make me uh, feel like I could go on existing in the world one thing that would force me to get out of bed and that would probably improve my mood one thing I could do would be to get a puppy and, you know, I, I, I've gone through moments where I've thought this is kind of shameful, to be honest, where I've thought, you know, I'm glad I wound up with Amos, but I don't think that anyone should think that getting a puppy is going to be some kind of panacea. Puppies come with their own challenges. It's a major commitment to another living creature. These kinds of decisions should, should be more thoughtful. But it's interesting uh, in 2020, how many people have gone out and gotten dogs for a number of reasons. But I think one of those reasons is that they can help make us feel better when we're down. Puppies are the opposite of death and heartbreak. And, you know, honestly, I think having this adorable puppy to care for, to pour my energy into to love, to learn about, to spend time with, like, I think all of that did help me feel a lot better. And of course, led to so many other wonderful things in my life. And I think part of that is actually because of another ex-boyfriend, actually a guy who I dated uh, only for a few months um, during the year uh, between when um, the doctor broke up with me and when he declared he wasn't interested in getting back together with me. Um, I dated this guy who was super nice, super nice guy, but kind of like a, a minor ex-boyfriend in uh, my canon of <laughs> ex-boyfriends. Like, there are the ex-boyfriends whose phone numbers I still have memorized, and uh, his is not one of them. But one thing that I really loved about him was his dog. Or I should say his relationship with his dog. He had this tiny Yorkie who was adorable and sweet and hilarious. Uh, and he just um, loved her so much. And he brought her everywhere with him in like a messenger bag that she was happy to climb into. Now, I have to admit... Most of my friends thought it was very strange that I was dating a straight man who had a tiny accessory dog a la Paris Hilton, but I saw it differently. 
he wasn't carrying that dog around because of the way it looked or to get attention. He just loved that freaking dog and <laughs> wanted to spend as much of his life with her as possible. And it was something that she also seemed to really enjoy. <laughs> and I remember this, this was back in the days of, of Friendster, I think. He, he had a Friendster page for his dog and uh, I remember him trying to explain to me that like she had her own social circle that wasn't attached to him that like she had her own friends and her own relationships I do actually kind of remember thinking that was sort of ridiculous but overall I I think he made me reconsider what dog ownership could be like for a young person that having a dog didn't mean I had to be tied down to my apartment and it didn't mean I had to move to the country. It didn't mean I couldn't travel or work at an office job. I think it helped open up my my brain to the notion that I could have a dog who could be with me during all different parts of my life and maybe it would be fun for the dog too. I'm, I'm not sure I would have put it in these kinds of words, but as I've been trying to think about what he sort of helped me see about dog ownership, this is how I've been, been thinking about it. And this desire to spend as much time as possible with my dog, to bring my dog places, to incorporate him into my life to me now this is all tied together with training you might not want to train your dog to be an agility dog you might not there might not be some major problem that you're trying to solve with dog training dog training might just be part of how you are helping your dog feel good in all these human situations that you uh, are putting your dog in and how to behave in those situations in such a way that will make it possible for your dog to keep doing those things with you. I mean, if you enjoy eating uh, outdoors and you can train your dog to hang out on a mat next to you, outside while you're eating and people are coming and going and you know to not bother you <laughs> during your meal it, it can be a big win for both of you you know you're both getting to spend more time together and doggy lives are, are too short like if you love your dog the training that you can do to get you to the point of being able to go out for lunch with your dog it's just more time for you to feel good and enjoy your hobby like if your hobby is your car, you're going to want to spend as much time in your car and with your car as, as possible. But like I said, you know, in this case, it's a hobby where there are thoughts and feelings and emotions. And if you can in the same breath alter those thoughts and feelings and emotions to make the dog want to be there, then it's just kind of this like reverberation of happiness because then you're happy because the dog is happy. Overall, I think... Amos, this 18-pound black Yorkie poo, 
made my life so much happier in every way. <laughs> and you know, the term emotional support animal kind of drives me crazy because I feel like every person I know who has an emotional support animal thinks that they're getting away with something by having an emotional support animal. It seems like there should be at least some people who feel like they have a, a legitimate reason to have an emotional support animal. I don't know if I had a reason to have one, but I can tell you that I think Amos was such an emotional support to me uh, in so many ways so much of the time. I mean, even just socially, when he was with me in social situations, I think I felt more more engaged with people. I remember, and I, you know, I, I'm being honest here about this because I think probably there's someone listening who is or was similar you know when I was a kid uh, at a friend's house if somebody was having a party I was always hanging out with the dog at the party in high school for one year I was uh, at a school that was very small and there was a, a dog at the school and I was always hanging out with that dog in the yearbook I was voted nicest to dog but you know I wasn't trying to please the dog or make the dog feel good I was hanging out with the dog because it made me feel better there were so many, so many situations over the years where having Amos with me just made me feel better about everything. And I think it made his life experience richer. But again, that was like a, a secondary part. You know, we, we traveled a lot together, especially uh, when I got together with my now husband who runs uh, student travel programs in Europe. Amos spent three summers chaperoning students in uh, Italy, France, and Greece. And I feel like if someone were writing the style section story of our lives together, they could say something like Annie Grossman felt that it was important that her dog Amos do a grand tour of Europe each summer. Like, I feel like journalists so often have a tendency to frame these things as if it's like you're doing it for the dog. But no, I mean, Amos lived all the things he lived because I wanted him to be with me. And it resulted in him having, I think, a very rich and happy life. And, you know, it's funny now when I think back to um, uh, my, the minor ex-boyfriend's <laughs> comment about um, how his dog had her own social circle, I, I think about Amos's social circle, and he really did have friends beyond my group of, of friends. He had his own relationships, which I think is pretty awesome and I think speaks to the fact that you know we, we we should think more broadly about dog ownership you know I yes he was my dog he was my responsibility but I love the fact that other people some people who <laughs> probably don't even know uh enjoyed spending time with him I'm thinking about for instance um there was a while where I lived in Williamsburg and my best friend uh, was working at Vice, which was in Williamsburg. And sometimes Alex would bring Amos to work with him because like 
Amos and Alex had their own special relationship. He maybe didn't belong to Alex, but he was still his good friend. And so he would go hang out at his office with him. And then uh, (laughs) I would sometimes be walking in Williamsburg with Amos and um, people would say hi to Amos, people I didn't even know (laughs) because they worked with him at Vice. And you know, I, I love that so many of my friends I think really loved Amos and and really like knew him like had their own relationships with him because I feel like it's going to help me hang on to him I think there were a lot of people who loved him and um, I'm grateful for that fact also grateful to Dr. Andrea Tu and Dr. Lisa Littman, two friends of mine who were just um, wonderful in helping me through the last couple weeks of Amos's life, as was um, Dr. Sally Haddock at St. Mark's Veterinary Hospital. She diagnosed him in the middle of October with a very large mass on his liver that looked like it was probably cancer, but it was unclear. And uh, I spent uh, two weeks after that trying to figure out if it was cancer, if it was what kind, was he healthy enough to get a biopsy done. We were in and out of vet appointments, but his health just really declined very quickly. He he spent um, a week basically just wanting to sleep. And then he stopped wanting to eat and then his kidney started to fail and he was clearly very uncomfortable and you know he he had slowed down over the last few months but he was still in pretty good shape this summer we were out in montauk one weekend and he was chasing sticks in the water like it was his job he uh loved swimming it's funny he wouldn't be that interested in like a tennis ball if a tennis ball was just kicking around in the living room, but if there was a ball or any kind of stick near any body of water, he would go crazy. He just desperately wanted to to fetch it. And um, yeah, he just loved, 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 loved swimming. He, he swam. There was a fountain in San Francisco where we lived for a little bit in Huntington Park that he loved. And uh, in Rome, in Prati, there was this fountain that he would want to go fetch in every day if we let him anyway uh, you know as late as this summer he was um he was still swimming and and he was just very very spry for for a long time at even at 14 people would say how old is your dog and I'd say 14 and they'd say 14 months and you know I I've had the feeling that I think must be common for pet owners I, I felt this way also when when my cat died like oh if only there was more I could have done, or if I had done X, Y, or Z sooner, or if I had paid more attention to Y, or, like, I've definitely had those thoughts. Like, maybe if I had brought him in for a checkup sooner, they would have found the mass sooner, and maybe they could have operated on it, but I remind myself that he was 15 and a half, that that's old for a dog, and I, I wish he could have lived till 20, but guess I'm also in a way grateful that it worked out the way it did because I wasn't in the position really of having to decide whether or not to invest huge amounts of money into 
chemotherapy or surgery in order to extend his life by some unclear amount of time because I think um, that's a really hard position to to be put in. I mean, on the one hand, you're dealing with your, your best friend who you love more than anything. On the other hand, death is going to happen at some point and uh, most people's pockets aren't bottomless. And I'm also grateful that I really never had to see him as uh, a very depleted version of himself. He didn't ever show any kinds of senility. He still had his vision and his hearing and most of his teeth. Like I always imagine this sort of future, decrepit, skinny, sad version of himself that maybe he would be as an old man. And I thought about how I would love that old man dog uh, as much as I always loved him, but that it would be sad because I would also, you know, remember how vibrant and wonderful he was in his youth. And that's just a another hard reality of um, pet ownership that you experience these animals as um, you can experience these animals both as puppies and as uh, old people. It was really hard seeing him unwell, but I'm glad it was a short period of time and I, I'm sure that in time uh, the memories of him being um, memories of him being his best self will far uh, outweigh the memories of um, those final difficult days. And I think that's really the, the most that you can hope for when you have a dog spend uh, his lifetime with you. I asked Jason, my husband, to bring him to the vet when it was time to put him down. I realized uh, if I had the choice to not be there myself, I, I didn't want to be there. I held him for the two hours before it was time. And then I put him in his backpack with Jason, and they went off. I realized uh, I didn't really want to have the memory of seeing him dead. I know some pet owners feel it's really important to be there for that moment, but I felt like, um, you know, I wasn't there when he was born, and I felt comfortable with him being in the, in the arms of my partner during the last moments. And later that day, he came home with uh, the bag empty, except for the blue sweatshirt Amos had been wearing. And, um, what can I say? I miss him a lot. His leash is still hanging by the door. Magnolia came home after he had been put down and walked into every room in the apartment saying, woo-woo, woo-woo, looking for him. Woo-woo is what she says for a dog. She and he had a really special, sweet relationship. And it's really nice to know that although, you know, she probably won't remember him, uh, that um, he still is always going to be in her somewhere. That in some way he, he will have helped shape her. 
idea about about dogs and um and about the world and uh i'm i'm fortunate that i have lots of great photos of them together which i hope she'll enjoy as she gets older jason is having amos's ashes made into a necklace for me from uh, an etsy shop called close by me and um all right i think i'm done here i think i'm done sitting in a room by myself talking out loud about (laughs) ex-boyfriends and my dead dog (laughs) what am i doing with my life (laughs) um oh big news for podcast fans the community app that i've been talking about is live now you can find it you can go there on a web browser just go to schoolforthedogs.com slash community. You can also find it in the App Store or the Play Store. Look up School for the Dogs Community. It's free. There's some uh, paid add-ons you can get, but it is free to join and to join the conversation. It's really cool. We basically like built our own little Facebook app. So um, please come check it out. Come say hi. There is a podcast group within it. There's an introduction section. So that would be a great place for you to go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, poke around and see what we've made. I am uh, psyched about it. Also a reminder that I have been going live every Thursday afternoon think I might start actually going live within the app, but you can also sign up to join at schoolforthedogs.com slash Q&A if you want to attend my Thursday live sessions, and you can ask a question in advance if you'd like at anniegrossman.com slash ask. <laughs>